If you would please remain standing, we're going to read God's word together. Today we'll be reading out of the book of Acts, the eighth chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have ushers in the aisles. Just raise your hand, reach out, they'll be happy to hand you one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that and keep it. And if you are going to use one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 862. That's Acts, the eighth chapter, and we're going to start at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word for the message it holds for us. We also thank you for Pastor Mike. We pray that you fill him with your spirit as he preaches to us now, and may we receive the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of church is this? What kind of church is this? I think this is a, uh, a central question. It's kind of a key question that people will ask when they first come to a church or when they're deciding whether or not they want to attend a church. They'll just ask, like, well, what kind of church is this? Uh, they'll try to figure it out. I know that when we were talking about merging two churches together, when we looked at merging Northern Hills and Mission Valley and becoming one body of believers called Mission Valley, we asked those questions of each other a lot. Well, well, well what kind of church is that? And, and, and what kind of church is that? What kind of church is this going to be? And if you've ever found yourself looking for a church, you've probably asked that question too. Well, what kind of church is this? And at first, this seems like a really straightforward question. It seems like a pretty straightforward question just to ask, well, what kind of church is this? But I think when we get down to it, we realize that this question means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some people, when they say, what kind of church is this, means that what they really mean is, well, what's the music like? Well, what's the music like? And when they ask what kind of church is this, they really want to know what kind of music is it. Or they'll want to know, well, what will the sermons be like? Will they, will they be uh, expositional preaching? Will they be, will they be topical? What will happen with the sermons? Some people will say, well, what kind of church is this? And they'll mean, what kind of programs do they have? Are there Wednesday nights? Do they have Sunday mornings? What else going on here? Some people will say, well, what kind of church is this? And they'll want to know, is it reformed or not reformed? Some people are, are really big on that. Some people will say, well, does this church lean more Calvinistic or more Arminian? What kind of church is this? Some people will want to know, well, who will be welcome in this church? What, what kind of church is this? Is it the kind of church where I can bring my friends? Some people will have really, really big, important theological questions like, will people who root for the University of Michigan or the University of Arizona be shunned or will they be shown grace? What kind of church is this? They'll want to know that. And the more you think about it, the more it seems like what kind of church is this is not really that straightforward of a question at all. So what kind of church will Mission Valley Church be? What kind of church will this be? And as we start this new year together, I want you to know that this will be a church on mission to see the valley transformed by the gospel. 
If you wonder what kind of church will this be, it says it right there. This is the kind of church that will be a church on mission to see the valley transformed by the gospel. This is who we are and what Jesus will find us doing when he comes back or calls us home. The, the mission statement of this church is really the definition of the kind of church that we'll be. We will be a church. This is not just a community. I mean, it's absolutely a community, and you'll find community here, but this is a church. This is the hands and feet of Jesus. This is the place where the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry and where those who have not been, become believers yet will get to hear about the Jesus that can save. This will be a church. This will be a church on mission. We will go, teach, baptize, disciple. This is what we're going to do right here in this neighborhood, right here in this city, and then far out from here through different cooperative programs that we're a part of. We will care for the valley. We will start right here in this neighborhood. I want us to understand something, that as much as we care about this entire valley, as much as we care about further reaches than this valley, that we'll reach out to through IMB, through, through Send Network, through all kinds of different things, we are accountable for and responsible for this neighborhood. There are people in this neighborhood right now that woke up on Sunday morning and had no idea what you're supposed to do when you wake up on a Sunday morning is go and worship Jesus, and we will be the ones that tell them about Jesus right here in this neighborhood. We will be responsible. We will be about transformation. We want to see individuals, neighborhoods, and beyond transformed by the gospel. We believe the gospel has unlimited power to save individuals, to save marriages, to save families, and to save relationships. We are unashamedly for the gospel and want to make it known to the far reaches of the word of the world. The gospel is key. We will be gospel-centered in everything we do, believing unashamedly that the gospel can do far more than we ever imagined. That is the kind of church we will be collectively the collected body of believers assembled as the local church, Mission Valley Church, will be that kind of church so that if anyone were to ask you, I'm thinking about trying out your church, what kind of church is it? You would be able to answer them rightly with the information that I just gave you. That's the kind of church we will be because we have been given a clear written mission statement from Jesus Christ about what kind of church all churches will be. Jesus gave us a command. The King of kings and Lord of lords gave us a command in Matthew chapter 28, right before he ascended into heaven, when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said, I am the boss. It's me. The buck stops here. I am the guy. All authority in both heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is what you will do with the authority that I have. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. As a church, we will be about going, teaching, baptizing, and discipling. Amen? You should get fired up when you hear that. You should get fired up when you hear that because that is who we will be and that is what Jesus died for, that we would go out and do that. So you'll be fired up. This is what we'll do together. This is so central to what we do that almost everything else will be secondary. 
This will be so central to what we do that all the other stuff that we could think about, all the other stuff that we could get worked up about, all the other stuff that we could concern ourselves with will become secondary so that we can say that the music, the decor, the programs, the staff, the sermons, the way that we spend money exist only to help us go teach, baptize, and disciple. That's what we're going to do here. That's who we're going to be. But who is the we? Who is the we? I mean, if we are going to do this, who is the we? Who is the we that will go? Who is the we that will teach? Who is the we that will baptize and disciple? Who will be the individuals who will make up the body of believers known as Mission Valley Church? Well, those are the members. The we that we're talking about is the members. The church will be made up of members, people who say, I am part of this church. I, I am part of this church. I am here for it. I am, I am all about it. I am, I'm here for it. I am going to sacrifice my time, my talent, and my resources to lock arms together to do far more together than I could do on my own as we go teach, make disciples, and baptize. Those are the members. Now, not everybody that comes here will be a member. And we know that because some people just don't want all the things that are available to them at the church. Some people just want to come and attend. They'll want some of what the church has, but they won't want all of it. They may come for fellowship or sermons or a particular relationship, and they'll be welcome here, and we will love them. We'll just love them like crazy, but they just won't want to be members. But we will be accountable for and accountable to the members of this church. We have to be accountable for and accountable to the members of this church. Do you know, church, that the elders of this church, myself, Mike Lee, and Andy Abbott, and Eric Cook, and Andy Hyatt, and Nate Perrow, and Matt Johnson, and Scott Van Loan will have to stand before God and give an account for you? Do you know that that's what they agreed to do when they agreed to become elders? That's what I agreed to do when I agreed to become your elder, your pastor. That's what I agreed to do, that I would stand before God and give an account for you. This is what it says in Hebrews 13, 17 through 18. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The leaders of this body of believers, the elders of this body of believers will have to give an account. And if we're honest, this keeps us up at night sometimes. If we're honest, this weighs heavily upon us at times. Because I want to be able to stand before God and say, I knew who you were and I was responsible for you. I chased after you when things were not going well. I prayed for you. I reached out to offer a hand when you needed help. And I also reached out to offer correction when you needed discipleship. And every other elder thinks the same thing. That's why we've set up things the way we have with our membership process so that we can know you. And of course, we truly can't be accountable for just anyone that ever shows up here. I mean, sometimes people are just going to show up. Maybe they're going to be here for a week or two weeks. They, they just come and they check it out. And we can't be accountable for them because we wouldn't know them well enough to do that. And so this is why we take membership so seriously at Mission Valley Church. And so every single year, we ask people to sign a membership covenant so that as elders, we know who wants us to help lead and disciple them. And this covenant allows members to know what they can expect from us as elders. And it lets elders know what to look for in our members. 
And so we have four markers of membership. This is what we do. We, we, we talk about being a believer, someone who has believed in Jesus and followed him in baptism. That's a marker of membership here. We talk about a server, someone who is part of and serves on a service team. That is part of membership at this church, that you'll lock arms with us and serve others, just like Jesus did and just like Jesus instructed. We say learner, someone who is actively involved in a discipleship group. And there will be many different opportunities for that involvement in a discipleship group. There will be things on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and almost every single night of the week so that everybody who wants to be part of this church can have a group of people that you are walking through life with. And then finally, somebody who is a giver, someone who has a regular pattern of giving. And so today we're starting this new series called First Things First. We want to look at God's Word. We want to open up God's Word and look at these four marks of membership because I believe that the best days of this church are in front of us, not behind us. I believe that God is far from done with this body of believers, that God will do far more than we can ever imagine. And as we prepare for the things that God is going to do in and through us for our good and for his glory, I want us to be on the same page about the things that matter. And so today we're going to look at belief marked by baptism. And if you wonder, like, I wonder what Mike's objective is today. I wonder what it is that he's trying to get done. I wonder what Mike is hoping will happen or what, what he's been praying about this week. This is what I've been praying about. Last week, my family and I, we went to Prescott for the weekend. Uh, Eric uh, preached, and we're so thankful for that. It was great to just get away as a family and kind of unplug, join, uh, join online church. Thanks to the team that does that stuff back there. We just unplugged, and I started last week to pray these three specific prayers for today. This is what I prayed for all of you for today. This is what I prayed that those of you who have not yet believed would believe today. I've literally prayed, Jesus, save the people that are coming to the church that have not believed yet. I, I've prayed that. I pray that Jesus does what only he can do and that he saves you and that you believe. And for those of you who do believe and have not yet been baptized, I pray that you get baptized, that you would see by the end of today, that baptism is the first act of obedience and that you would declare through baptism to the world what Jesus has done for you. We're actually going to see this happen today when two young men walk up on this stage and they follow Jesus for the rest of their life, starting right here in the water. And if that's you, if you've never been baptized before, but you've believed in Jesus, I want to remove any barrier that's in the way of your baptism. And we're going to do that today by offering a baptism class right after service. And the third thing is this. For those of you that have been baptized, if you've believed in Jesus and you have been baptized, I am praying that someday very soon you will get your hands wet when you baptize somebody that you've shared the gospel with, that Jesus has saved, and then you get the privilege of doing that. That is what my prayer is for you today. That's my objective today, that those who do not believe believe, that those who believe get baptized, and that those who've been baptized baptize someone else. And I do this because I believe this is in alignment with Jesus' objectives, with Jesus' mission when he said, go, teach, baptize, and disciple. And so as we see in our text today, we'll see these objectives clearly played out. One of the things that's so great about reading Scripture, especially reading a book like the book of Acts, is that we get to see stories of how this actually happens. 
So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, the, the stories of Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the, the stories of Jesus. And then Acts is like how the church gets started. So what does it look like to go teach, baptize, and make disciples? What does it look like? Well, one of the things it looks like is it looks like this story today where Philip, uh, just a guy named Philip, not a, theo- a, the- a theology professor, not, not, not like a, an acclaimed pastor, not somebody that's got a bunch of preaching reps. Philip, a disciple of Jesus, goes up to a man, this Ethiopian eunuch, and he teaches him about Jesus. Jesus miraculously saves this man, and then Philip gets to baptize him. This is what it should normally look like. This is like the normal way to Christian. This is like the normal way to get this thing done. Like, well, what happens? Like, is there lightning from heaven that comes down? Do angels typically show up? No, not typically. What usually happens is a Christian walks up to somebody that's not a Christian, shares the gospel with them, tells them all the stuff that Jesus taught them, tells them what Jesus did, and then Jesus performs a miracle and saves their heart, and the person believes, and then this normal, regular guy gets to baptize his buddy. That's what it normally looks like. And so we're going to see in this text today, and our big idea for it is this simply, Christians go, teach, and baptize, and Jesus saves. This is what just normally happens. Christians go, teach, and baptize, and Jesus saves. It could be just as easily said, this is what Mission Valley people do. What do Mission Valley people do? Well, Mission Valley church members go, teach, and baptize after Jesus saves. So let's jump in at this and look at this text. And our first idea this morning is this. If you'd like to take notes, Christians go to those who do not believe. Christians go to those who do not believe. And I know most of you believe me, but a lot of you live like you don't. Some of you shake your head. I say, Christians go to those that don't believe. And I see people, yeah, man, that's what we do. And then I say, well, when's the last time you did it? Oh, it's been a minute. Because what Christians fall into the habit of is going to other Christians who believe. We fall into the habit of like, oh, you're a Christian. Let me come over and talk to you about Jesus in my church. And what I'm saying here is that we are to go to those that don't believe yet. And you'd be like, well, why would I go to them? They don't believe yet. And aha, aha, that's it. I get fired up. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, 26 through 30 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, ran to him, and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Notice something here. Notice that Philip doesn't wait for the man to come to him. He goes to the man. Nay, he runs to the man. He runs to the man. There is a sense of urgency. Oh, there's somebody over there that doesn't know Jesus. I will not stroll. I will not saunter. I will run. I'm a runner, I'm a track star. I mean, that's what I do, right? I'm going to run. He doesn't wait for an invitation. And some of you will say, no, no, wait, an angel told him. An angel told him. If an angel told me what to do, I would do it. Jesus Christ told you what to do. Don't be waiting around for an angel when the king of kings and lord of lords, the one that created angels, said go teach disciple. You don't have to wait for an angel to show up. You've been given the commission. 
There's something that's so weird about the American church culture. There's something that's so weird about us. There's something so weird about the American church culture that says if we build a building and put up signs, people will probably show up. There's something so weird about us that says, hey, if, if Natalie crushes it with Facebook and Instagram, people will probably just come, and it just ain't true. It isn't. No, I'm not saying it'll never happen. Some people will just be driving by, and they'll see a sign and say, I'm going to go check that out. Uh, sometimes somebody will see uh, the, the, the social media stuff, and they'll be like, hey, that place looks pretty cool. I'm going to go check it out. But I want us to understand that we are thankful for those times, but that wasn't God's plan. God's plan wasn't build a building and people will show up. Uh, it's not the strategy that Jesus laid out for us. Jesus said, go out, get out there, go to them. Jesus never said, build a building, put up some signs, and the people will probably come. Jesus never said, build it, and they will come. That's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. That's different. That's how you get baseball teams to show up out of cornfields, right? But that ain't how you get people to come to church. You go out there and get them and bring them in. Jesus said, go. Church, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know what that thing is where Christians stay and wonder if people will come. I don't know what the word is for that. I don't know what that thing is. But whatever it is, whatever that thing is where Christians say, I'm going to just sit here and hope somebody will show up. I'm going to just sit here and hope that that guy that doesn't know anything will just know to come over here like instinctively, like some migratory pattern or something like that. It would just show up over there. I don't know what that thing is, but whatever it is, that's not what Jesus was talking about when he said go. He said go. Go. You should go. And you should be intentional enough to know where and to whom you are going. Who are you going to? Who are you going to? I was talking to Kobe this week. I said, hey, Kobe, where's your mission field right now? He said, right now my mission field is Cortado Coffee. It's a coffee shop right down the street. I said, what are you doing over there? He goes, I, he goes every day I wake up and I go to the gym. Kobe got up and flexed on me this morning. I don't know why. He, he, got up, he walked right up to me. He got all chesty and started burning. I don't know what his deal was. He had a lot of coffee. I don't know. Maybe he could tell I put on a couple pounds and he's feeling good. I don't know what his deal is. But he, he watches me like that this morning. He, but this is lately. He goes to the gym in the morning. This is Kobe's pattern. If you wonder, like, what does Kobe do every morning? He wakes up in the morning. He reads his Bible. He goes to the gym. And then he goes to Cortado Coffee right over there. And what is his purpose in doing that? He goes over there and he opens up his Bible and he starts reading it. He does his reading of the Bible at that coffee shop. And he's trying to make friends over there. Why is he trying to make friends over there? So that he can tell them about Jesus. Kobe got coffee at his house. It's cheaper at his house. We don't pay him very much money. It'd be easier to say, have it at his house. But he goes over there. He goes over there so that he can meet people and tell them about Jesus. Matt and Janine Johnson go to Simple Machine every single week, once a week on a date, so that they can tell people about Jesus, so that they can make friends. There's somebody that's at this church right now that they met over there. This dude is at this church. This dude fist bumped me. This guy, where are you at, Nate? Nate hugged me so hard this morning that he broke his phone. And they, he did. He like, boom. He, like he, Nate's a hugger. And he hugged me like that. And I'm so thankful that they went over there and they met him because I'm so, my life is blessed just to be around Nate. If you've never been around this guy, you should talk to him. He got long hair. He's cool. He looks a little bit like, uh, like Wayne's World. If you don't know what he looks, I'm just trying to help you out, Nate, wherever you're at. He's a good dude. Christians, go to those who do not know Jesus. So to whom are you going? Here's the second point. Christians teach those who do not believe about Jesus. They teach those that do not believe about Jesus. Who else would need teaching? 
They teach those that don't know. Oftentimes we think that we should just be teaching people that do know. And we can put on Bible studies for Christians, and that's great. That's called discipleship. We'll get into that next or in two weeks. That's fantastic. Uh, it's fantastic to teach Christians more stuff. But who really needs to know about Jesus is those that don't know him yet. This is what it says. Philip walks up to this guy, and he, and he just asks him, do you, do you understand what you're reading? He said, do you understand what you're reading? He's just reading. He's reading. He doesn't understand it. He says, and, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The man says, how can I possibly understand this unless somebody teaches me? Will you teach me? He says, I don't get it. I mean, he's sitting there and he's reading the Old Testament and he doesn't get it. And so Philip teaches him. It says that Philip opens his mouth and starts with this text and then starts to share the good news about Jesus. Something along the way of saying something like, God made the world and it was perfect and it worked exactly like it was supposed to, but then man sinned and broke it and now nothing works right. And the worst part of the brokenness of this world, the worst part of sin is that man is separated from God, but God loved you so much that he sent Jesus down here on a rescue mission to save you. He's just telling the story to this eunuch. He's just telling this man, this is what happened. And he said, and while Jesus was here, he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. He probably tells him all about that. He tells him how he died on the cross, and he tells him how three days later he walks right out of the grave. And that if this guy could believe that, if he could believe that, then he could be saved. This is what he does. He just tells him the story. This man needs a teacher, and Philip teaches him. Church, this guy could have read that passage a hundred times and not understood what he was reading. Imagine, if you would, for just a second, imagine a classroom where students walk in every day and there's books on the desk, but nobody to teach them. Imagine how hard it would be to learn. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are teachers. You just got back to school. Praise God that you went back because we needed to take our kids back. We dealt with them for two weeks, and y'all, good for you. Homeschoolers. Good job. I don't even know how. Good for you. Heroes of the people. You're, you're teaching these kids. Imagine how difficult it would be for people to learn without teachers. Imagine trying to learn how to read or write or how to drive or how to throw a baseball without someone to teach you. You wouldn't get it. And this man is saying to Philip, I don't get it. I need someone to teach me. Will you teach me? And that's the way it's supposed to happen. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. I don't know what that thing is, church, where a Christian knows the good news but keeps it to themselves. I don't know what that thing is 
don't know what that thing is where you know everything you need to know about Jesus to tell somebody about him, but you just hold it inside. I don't know what to call that. Selfish is what comes to mind. Mean is what comes to mind. It just seems harsh. It just seems weird. Like if you were walking around and you knew somebody was thirsty and you knew where they could go get water, wouldn't you tell them, hey, there's water over there? You're walking around and people are dead. And you know who gives life. How can you not tell them about Jesus? I don't know what that thing is. But whatever it is, it's not discipleship. It's not, it's not being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus, one who follows Jesus, goes to those that don't yet know and teaches them, and they open their mouths. Years ago, someone said, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. And I'm telling you, you're going to need some words. I'm telling you, you're going to need some words. This idea that you can go preach the gospel through your actions is, 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 is kind of fallacy. At some point, you're going to need to open your mouth and use words. Philip shares words with this man. My daughter, Michaela, is learning how to drive. This is a good time in our house. She's learning how to drive. She's doing a good job. This morning, she drove to church, drove all the way from our house to church, and she didn't hit anything. I'm really excited about that. She drove here. And here's what we didn't do. Here's what we didn't do. We didn't get in the car this morning and sit down and go, well, Michaela, you've been sitting here watching us drive for 15 and a half years, so go get it. We didn't do any of that. We probably talked too much. Uh, break. You might want to get that break going. We need the break. Break. Uh, break, break, break. Good, 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 good. Break. Break. Stop. Stop. Very good. Very good. We probably said break 28 times. I mean, the child's been sitting in a car for 15 and a half years. If it was possible to learn how to drive by just watching us drive, she would have figured it out already. She's gifted and smart, right? She's super intelligent. We had to use words. Hey, put your turn signal on. Hey, check your blind spot. Hey, slow down a little bit. Break! We, we, we used the words. And we used some body language, too. My wife had that air brake going. You ever get that? Yeah. You ever taught somebody... It doesn't matter how many times you hit that back seat. It, it doesn't do it. You're going to need words. You need words. Words about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what that meant. You're going to need words to go and to teach. Christians teach those who do not believe about Jesus. Whom are you teaching? If I were to just ask you, could you tell me who it is that you're teaching? Who is it that you're discipling right now? Who is it that you're praying for Jesus to save? Who? are they? Point number three, Jesus saves. This is the coolest part of the whole thing. This is the coolest part of the whole thing. Because if you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm going to screw this up. I'm probably going to mess this up. Don't worry, because Jesus does the hard part. Jesus saves. Nobody in here got to get on the cross. Congratulations. Jesus handled that. Jesus saves. This is what it says at 836. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Here is the thing that's happened. Jesus has saved this man. And we don't know how. We have no idea how Jesus does it. We don't know how Jesus just did it, like right then. Like, why did he do it now and not, not, not in two months or not, not in six years? We don't, we don't know. But we know he believes this gospel that he's heard because now he wants to get baptized. Because if Philip went to him and taught him everything about Jesus, and since Philip is teaching him everything about Jesus, he taught him about how Jesus got baptized and how baptism is an outward expression of something that's happened in your heart. And so now this guy wants to get baptized. Somewhere in there, Jesus just saves this man. Literally changes his heart. Literally makes him alive and saves him. And only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can do this. And we don't know who he's going to do it for. 
We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know who he's going to do it for. We don't know who Jesus is going to save. And there's a way to say, well, Jesus is probably going to save who he's going to save, so I don't need to tell anybody about him. There's a way to walk around like that. There's people that walk around like that that think, well, Jesus is going to save who he's going to save, so I don't need to do anything. I don't really need to go teach, make disciples, and baptize because, you know, Jesus will probably just get around to saving who he's going to save. And I want you to know that that's not the plan Jesus laid out. Jesus didn't say, go sit around and I'll get around to saving people. Jesus said, I'm totally going to save people as you go teach, baptize. That's what's going to happen. You do that part, I'll do my part. Jesus is really clear on our objective here. We don't get to just sit around and just be like, well, Jesus is going to get who he gets. Jesus said, go teach, Baptized disciple. I want you to think about this. Jesus could have literally used any methodology he wanted to for evangelism. He could have used anything he wanted to. I mean, Jesus could have just written a message in the stars. Jesus could have just written, like, just had all the stars line up and just say, hey, believe in Jesus. He could have done that. He could have written a story like that. He could, have, he could have just like shouted out from the heavens. If Jesus wanted to, he could send a legion of angels to just come down on people and tell them the gospel. Jesus could like literally have mountains jump up and shout his name and tell unbelievers. But God's plan is that Christians go and tell. God's plan is for people like you and me, flawed people like you and me, to go out and tell people about Jesus. That's his plan. And when you say, I don't need to, you are living in violation of God's plan. Think about it like this. It's not like, hey, if you get around to it, if you're not too busy, you know, with the work and, and, and the after-school activities and all that stuff. If you could get around to it, maybe sometime you could go somewhere, and teach somebody, tell somebody. It's not like that. It's like the King of kings and Lord of lords said to you, go, teach, make disciples, baptize. Go. You say, I'm really busy. Doing what? The king has given you an order. <laughs> the king has given you a command. And I think this should give us great confidence. I think this should give us great confidence, this idea that Jesus is the one that saves. We shouldn't sit here and think, well, I, I would sure like to tell my friends about Jesus, but I'm afraid I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up. I'm afraid I'm not going to do it right. We don't have to think like that because only Jesus can save. We don't have any power to do it right anyway. The only thing that we can do right is to follow the command and go. This is like one of those things where you, you, you just get credit for trying. Some of you kids are back in school and you'd be like, hey, how much credit is effort worth? Because I... I'm going to throw some effort at this. Like, can I get it like a C plus with effort? Like, I'm telling you right now, as a Christian, like, you just, 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 just do it. Just go teach. Just go out there and teach. Just walk up to people and tell them about Jesus. That's what you're being commanded to do. And you say, well, I, nobody ever believed. Well, that ain't on you. That's on Jesus. You get to just go do it. That's the obedience. Jesus saves. So go tell everybody. Fourth point is this. Christians baptize new believers. Acts 8.38 says, Then he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. He baptized him. Baptized him. I want us to recognize that this is the first step of obedience. The man literally says, What would prevent me from getting baptized? And Philip is like, Well, we just need some water, and here it is, and it's right over there. And so he baptizes him. He baptizes him. It's what he does first. He doesn't go to a bunch of classes first. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like go and like take a theology class. He doesn't go and get like a note from his professor. He doesn't do any of that stuff. It's the immediate act of obedience. Now, church, as, a, as sinners, we can mess this up. 
As sinners, we can mess this up. Churches mess this up. There's a way to play on emotions and feelings and push people to get baptized. There's a way to get all worked up and fired up and be like, hey, come on down here. Come on down here. Come on down here. Yeah, I see you. I love you. I want you to bathe me. Come on. There's a way to do that, and we're not going to do that. We won't do that. The, the baptism is, is set up today. This water is set up and it's ready because two young men have already said they want to get baptized today. And so we've made plans to baptize them. And I'd be happy to baptize more people next week. So we take this very seriously. We're not going to rush people into the water. There's a way to get this messed up. There's a way to do that wrong. But there's also a way to overcomplicate this. There's a way to say, I don't know enough, or I don't understand enough, or I'd get baptized, but I don't, I don't really like water, or, or I'm not good enough. I once had a student who wanted to get baptized so bad for all the right reasons. This, this young person believed in Jesus, believed in everything about Jesus, and just wanted to follow Jesus. And his parents said that when he got his math grade up from a C to a B, that he could do it. And that ain't it. There's a way to, 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 to overcomplicate this. There are probably only a handful of good reasons not to get baptized. One is I don't believe. <laughs> if you don't believe, don't get baptized. We'll be praying for you until Jesus saves you. One, there's no water. <laughs> it's hard to get baptized if there's no water. And finally, the other one is I don't know what baptism is. But outside of that, once those barriers are removed, there's not really a good reason not to get baptized. And as Christians, we should actively be praying for the people that we hope to baptize. We should care enough for people that we pray that Jesus saves them. Care enough for people that we pray that Jesus will change their heart and give them the faith to believe. Care enough to pray for the day that we get to baptize our new believing friends. As our kids were growing up, I remember praying for them every single day that Jesus would save them. There's all these things that you can do as a parent for your kids, and you can't save them. You can do so many things. You give them stuff. You give them discipline. You, you feed them. You love them. You hug them. You care for them. You teach them to drive a car. But only Jesus can save them. And so in desperation, I remember praying that, Jesus, please save James. Please save him. God, Jesus, please save him. I remember praying, Jesus, please save Michaela. Please save him. Please, please save her. Please save Courtney. Please save her. Just save her. Like you've saved her from death before, but just save her from eternity separated from you. Save my kids. I remember praying that desperately. And when you pray that desperately for somebody, then on the day they get baptized, there's a reason you celebrate. When these two young men come up out of this water today, I'm going to tell you what this church will do. Y'all will erupt in applause. So excited because these young men who've been prayed for are getting baptized. If you saw our social media this week, Natalie posted a picture of Haley Wagner getting baptized. And if you were there that day, you remember how much people cheered because that girl was prayed for. Her mama was on her knees every night praying for God to save that girl. Her community group, the staff, Penny and I prayed for her every single night. My kids prayed for her every night. And so when she got baptized, it was like a fantastic, oh my gosh, we can't believe it. It's so good because Christians baptize new believers. So I would ask you, church, when do you think you'll next get your hands wet? Who are you praying for the opportunity to get your hands wet with? So what kind of church will we be? What kind of people will we be? We will be those who go to those that don't believe. We'll go to those that don't believe and we'll tell them about Jesus. What kind of church will this be? What kind of people will we we'll be those that teach those that don't believe? We will be people that pray that Jesus saves and we will baptize new believers. 
So who are you praying for, church? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying desperately that Jesus would save and would become a Christian? Let's pray together now. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and open your word, and we ask, Lord, that through this word that you would transform our hearts. God, we pray that the people that are in this room today that have never believed in you, that you would give them faith to believe. God, like parents down on our knees for our children, we pray for those who are far from you that you would bring them close. And God, for those who have believed but have not yet been baptized, we ask you to give them the faith to follow you into the water. And God, for those of us that do believe, that do believe and have been baptized, God, give us the faith and the conviction to go, to teach, to make disciples in your name. Help us to go into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our places of business, and not be there to do what we think needs to be done, but to do what you commanded us to do. Help us to see our places of influences as mission fields. Help us to not feel like we have to get on an airplane to be on mission, but rather to be people who live on mission. That every cab driver we encounter, every Uber driver, every grocery store checkout clerk, every friend, every office associate, that everybody that we see, that we would make it our business to follow you by telling them about you. Help us to be people like that. We repent for the times that we've been disobedient to that command. We repent for the times that we've taken it like a suggestion. Give us faith to believe enough to act. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, hey, this is exciting. We get to baptize two young men today. Hey, these guys have, have shared their testimony with me. They've talked to me about what they believe. Uh, I just want you to hear a little bit from them. Hey, will you just tell us your names real quick? My name is Tyler Jordan Fletcher. That, that's right. That's right. All three names you got out there. That's good. That's good. My name is Jonah Liam Fletcher. Very good. Yeah, you don't have to do all three names, but it's good when you do. We appreciate it. Uh, we're so excited that you're here today. Hey, do you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life, died a death on the cross, and defeated that death to save you? Yes. Yes. Do you want to get? Yeah, that's good. Do you want to get baptized today and follow him for the rest of your life? Yes. Yes. All right, very good. Well, with that confession, we're going to baptize these guys. And I'll tell you, the church is going to be so excited for you. They're going to stand up and clap afterwards. So jump in here real quick, Tyler. Tyler wanted to go first because little brothers don't usually get to go first. But this time he does. Sorry, pal. All right, wait, 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 wait. Don't get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Are we ready? All right. It's my privilege to baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Get up, brother. Yeah. Very good. I know it's so warm it's hard to get you. That water is so warm, it really, that's weird how the spirit moves his face like that. All right, you ready? It's going to be great. All right, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
very good. Oh boy. All right.